This is KVR, Kaiju Vision Radio, Episode 47, Part 3 of 3, Godzilla Anime Series, Godzilla Bigger Than Human Existence. Kaiju and Tokusatsu fans, and welcome to Kaiju Vision Radio, a podcast about the appreciation of Kaiju and Tokusatsu movies and discovering their historical and cultural value. I'm Brian Schorschel. This episode is split into three parts. This current one you're on is the related topic, what I'm calling Godzilla Bigger Than Human Existence. Daniel and I will delve deeper into this unexpected and meaningful story that's in the anime trilogy, Godzilla, Planet of the Monsters, Godzilla, City on the Edge of Battle, and Godzilla, the Planet Eater. At the beginning of Part 3, Metfis, in his monologue, his creepy, scary monologue at the beginning, he says how the Exif have intervened in Earth's history repeatedly. What do you think that's implying? Man, that one, that line really made me think a lot about like what they could have done and when they could have done it. Because um, the first thing it made me think of was, uh, you know, the whole ancient alien thing. And, you know, maybe they were intervening and interceding at certain points during our history to make sure that we um, got to the point where our planet could be eaten. And that's that's kind of what I took away from that was uh, the Exifer, apparently a very very ancient old race, and um, there's no indication that they're you know capable of like interdimensional or time travel or anything like that. So no. it's just kind of implied that they're very very old, and it's it's very possible that in order to create the right conditions on planets in the you know far distant reaches of the universe. They certain they send certain emissaries at certain points during uh, specific uh, eras during a planet's uh, main species, you know, biological and mental uh-huh. uh, evolution, and give them things to progress their society along to the point where they get to that inevitable moment when they start making their own monsters and they get the planet just right, and then they show up and get Ghidorah. You know, right. all fed. Yes, because it's about getting Earth ready for harvesting. Yeah, yeah. and that's a creepy word. Yeah, it the, is. I don't like the word harvesting when it comes to alien stuff, man. No. That's, <laughs> that's, that's terrifying. Like, the fact that a planet or the people on it, or definitely the people on it, could be harvested like crops for something beyond our comprehension and that we're basically being toyed with. And yeah. we are, uh, you know, it reminds me of uh, Final Wars where he, the, the yeah. alien guy keeps calling us cattle. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, <laughs> I counted that. Can... I think it was 11 times. Yeah, I, forget, was a I, lot I know of times. I counted it, and it's in the episode for Final Wars. I don't remember how many it was. It was a lot. <laughs> I don't remember. But, it was a lot. I, I don't remember what the number was either. I remember that. But yeah, um, I, I was. I had little was, tick marks, it, yeah. I, hash marks. I was doing <laughs> when I was watching it one time. But okay, so they, they've been intervening in human history and in Earth's history, and I was like, okay, so are you basically the ones who are creating all these messiahs or false messiahs, depending on who it is? And that will that now, makes society yeah. progress because they're speaking your, you're basically like Haru. You're like a conduit for their religion to get through. And and I was like, okay, so who hmm. are we talking here? Are we talking like Abraham Lincoln or something, or like <laughs> Jesus, Gandhi, yeah. Martin Luther King, JFK, even like, like Hitler, Napoleon? What are we talking here? <laughs> Because you could go um, all kinds of, yeah, with, with, with what Medfi sure. says here, you could be going all kinds of different directions. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens. So yeah. it was, yeah, it was, it was, it's interesting to think like because it, it could be the, people um, who preached equality because yeah, that's one thing. It doesn't just have to be religion. Because that's what yeah, they actually just... preach, but also it's people who preach sacrifice and who suppress individuality. And so... It's, you yeah. could be using various historical figures who have propounded those theories and, and that, yeah, that way of and, living or, or like various historical figures who promoted racial purity or something like that or, mm-hmm. or just in general people who caused wars. 
Yeah. Because it, that it brings about get, more yeah. destruction or like scientists like Einstein, yeah. because there's Einstein's formulas e equals MC squared right there on a chalkboard behind Haro. Yeah. Exactly. So like, are we talking like scientific figures who, who realized technologically the same things that the EXIF did when they developed technology to the point where they saw that what the universe is not infinite that's what they find crazy and that, yeah. that's their that's the part of their religion and so that's interesting too the whole thing about their religion is about being freed from fear and despair because life is fear and despair to them they're worshiping exactly. fate the universe is finite everything's going to die anyway so seek destruction make planets ripe for the destruction god to come and consume it did you ever see i heart huckabees uh, sadly, no, I have not. <laughs> um, I Heart Huckabees is one of those movies where where people where characters encounter different philosophies and they start living by them, and then all this destruction chaos happens. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, you know, there, there's a woman who's kind of hot in it, and and she's she suddenly starts wearing you know all these frumpy, bizarre clothes because she's like, it doesn't matter, everything's connected. It doesn't matter what I wear. Uh, there's this French woman who is a philosopher, essentially, and she preaches this philosophy of screw it. Life is meaningless. Just embrace the meaninglessness. That's a philosophy that, that people embrace. And, and so like, it ends up that it's a mix of the philosophies that, that is the best balance. But it, it's almost like, like somebody at Toho or whatever watched I Heart Huckabees and was like, hey, there's all these... <laughs> Different uh, philosophies at work here, but the, the EXIF religion is scary-ish. And what I found was is that this there's this term called entropy pessimism, and it's generally mm. like an economic term. And it's connected to the eventual heat death of the universe, where work can no longer be performed and, and out of anything left anymore. The theory is there is that human activity can only speed up the inevitable death of the planet. So, you know, we consume resources on Earth and it's turned into trash and stuff like that and, and expended energy that can't be used again. Natural resources are used, the environment breaks down until Earth reaches maximum entropy in accordance with the rest of the universe. Universal economic and environmental and human decline are impossible to escape. And uh, another term for this is depressive realism. <laughs> that's another great <laughs> Makes term. Sense. Yeah. But it's like this is, it's like this religion is entropy pessimism. Like it's somebody made of religion. It's interesting. And it is kind of like this depressive realism where it's like, okay, sure. The universe might eventually, you know, stop expanding and then collapse in on itself again. The parallels there are definitely there because of just how they, this is a, a religion that embraces destruction. It embraces the inevitability of destruction. I think a, a big word when it comes to the EXIF and their philosophy on things is the word inevitability. Mm -hmm. Quite frankly, there's almost all of the, the philosophies presented in these films tie back into the inevitability of things, of something or things. The Bila Salado have the same way. Yeah, and yeah. civilizational cycles. It's impossible yes. to break. And what happens in the post credit sequence of part three? They're smiling. They're definitely older. This is definitely way off in the future. And one of them is certainly smiling. Yeah. Now that moment right there, if there's anything that is like very ambiguous in all of this, this trilogy, it is that ending. Because I've seen people interpret a thousand different things out of what could be happening in that moment. I looked at some stills from the scene again and paid attention to some of the, the dialogue and I came away with, which is that what we're seeing might not be a bad thing at all. It might actually be a good thing and the fruit of uh, Haruo's labors because to me, the um, the really big altar looked like one of the vultures. Yeah. It looked, it looked very much like a vulture. And so to me, it, it kind of looked like they might be honoring Haruo's sacrifice. If you listen to what they say, you know, they're, they're basically talking to this altar and saying, accept his sacrifices, 
creepy, creepy things, fearful things, things that were scared. They mentioned bugs, I think, something like that, like insects that they don't like, things that scare them, things that make them afraid. And they're basically taking those things and they're using them as sacrifices onto this altar. It got me thinking, so this is obviously a roughly half a generation later because we've got all these kids. Mm -hmm. The twins are older. What if Haruo's sacrifice has given a new generation of humanity essentially a figurehead upon whom they can release all of their negativity to? Like his sacrifice is represented by the effigy of the vulture. They're taking things like anger and hatred and fear and discarding and they're releasing them. them and discarding them onto the altar so that Haruo's spirit or, you know, whatever they think of him in, on an ethereal plane, perhaps, can take them away from the civilization so they can continue to be at peace. And I thought that's an interesting interpretation because my first thought looking at it was, oh, God, humanity is going down the same path again. And it's, it's, it's just inevitable at this point. They're starting to build things and they're starting to get negative and hate. And the more I kind of looked at it again and I backed it up and watched it and I thought this, this could be not a bad thing. And it's, again, it's, I don't know if there's any one concrete answer to what that last image means. I, I think it could, it could be open to either interpretation. I think either could be right. Like I've seen a couple of, of fans online outright call these films like anti-religious and I don't know if they're necessarily anti-religious. I just think they're providing an interesting critical point of view on how religion can be misused if placed in the hands of a, a leader that's not a good person or an alien in this case. Yeah, it, And, it, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. it's essentially a story about the dangers of uh, being too confident in whatever dogma you're preaching, no matter what it is. I mean, there are wonderful people in this world that preach lovely, wonderful things about life and, and all kinds of different religions, Christianity and in Judaism and Islam and Buddhism and every everywhere around the world, Hinduism, that people that preach these wonderful, lovely things, but there's always the possibility of it being misused in a horrible, horrible way that takes advantage of people's faith. Yeah. It's the same thing, but without the religious aspect, specifically, transferred over to the Bila Salado. Because right now we find ourselves on planet Earth in real life in a world where we are obsessed by and dependent on technology and in a way, don't we revere it? Yeah. Don't we Don't we revere the technology? I mean, this podcast that we're talking on right now is the result of trial and error and the, the amazing technology that's been developed over the last several decades that allows things like this to happen. It's amazing to think that we are so dependent. And in that way, how different are we from the Bela Salado? It's interesting to think about how the parallels work. It actually makes these films, for all of their high sci-fi and uh, the big concepts, very in futuristic setting, very, very timely. Mm -hmm. As you, meant, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, how timely a lot of these things really, truly are. Yeah, the mood is uh, really right the on. The mood is, yes, we're, we are very much in a very divisive world right now, not just a society, but societies where we have conflicting philosophies, basically bashing each other over the head with different philosophies. We live in a world that kind of feels like it could crumble down around us if we don't pick something. But, you know, the nature of the world we live in is that there can't just be one philosophy. Yeah. There has to be many and there has to be debates over the merits of each one, because is there such a thing as a perfect philosophy? If the Godzilla trilogy has taught us anything, it's that the answer is no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there is no one perfect philosophy because the the Belus Saludians have this thing that can kill Godzilla and save the world. And of course they're doing it for themselves, but even that notwithstanding, it has the potential to be just as bad as Godzilla, if not worse, but just in a different way. There's the fault there. They're too overly confident in their technology. The Exif are too overly confident in the fact that their chosen conduit will sacrifice everything for them. They've underestimated the humanity of this person that, you know, I think they kind of, they didn't really think he'd do it. They thought they got this easy target. Mm -hmm. And the way civilizational cycles work in this, the, the inescapability of it is extremely interesting because he says how once a society has embraced development and technology and civilization to a at a certain point, that opens the door to destruction. Yes. That's scary. That is scary. It is 
It's 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 very crazy. In the end, he destroys technology in order to try to do what? Eliminate progress. He's trying to stop the unstoppable, even at his death. Because this guy's been trying to stop the unstoppable the whole time. Whether it's Godzilla <laughs> or yeah. something else, he's been trying to stop the unstoppable. But it's definitely true because he's literally fighting against things that cannot be fought. He's fighting against a, a force of a force of nature that also represents technology gone awry, that also represents all of these different things. And he's fighting against a religious dogma, and he's fighting against an over-reliance on technology. He's fighting against, you know, humans that human A believes one thing, human B believes a different thing. And there's just no right answer. His inevitable death is to prevent inevitability. Like he's dying to prevent it. At least he thinks he can. But does he? Who knows? Because his whole objective in life is to fight the cycle and to stop the cycle from happening. And to reverse it. In the case of Godzilla, he wants to reverse the cycle by getting rid of Godzilla and going backwards. And Uh when he is fighting against all of these things, he's trying to stop the cycle from continuing. He's unable to. And then Metfi's, what is his thing? Make the cycle happen. Encourage the cycle to happen. Speed it up. If you go with the whole idea that he that they have been manipulating Earth from the beginning, you sort of explain the huge runaway technological advancement that's happened on Earth. And you can say, oh, okay, that's what that's what they were doing. Is they were encouraging yeah. more development, encouraging more progress, encouraging technology, making time go faster, in a way. The Bill of Saludo, their idea is to freeze the cycle by losing themselves and becoming technology. Exactly. It's it's just opposite ends of the same yeah. the same coin like, in a weird it's way. It's like the Bela Saluto yeah. are sort of the intermediary, and then Haruo's like the outer person trying to end the cycle, and then the Exif are the inner, are inside, and they're trying to encourage the cycle to continue. The and Very. that's one thing about these characters. They're not typical characters in a way because they're not developed in the same way. They're they're developed in the sense that they are philosophies. And, and yeah. the direction and that they're going in the face of this cycle and what they're trying to do to stop it or encourage it. The Exif religion, there are t- overtones of radical uh, state Shinto, specifically the, the preaching of sacrifice and uh, the emphasis on the suppression of individuality. Specifically, Interesting. Specifically those things. I got a little bit of a vibe of uh, state Shinto in uh, the Exif, uh, the ultimate sacrifice, and especially how Metfis talks about sacrifice because he considers it mm. glorious to sacrifice yourself in killing Godzilla. Now, obviously, this wow. is, there's more going on with his motives than that, but he also, remember, he brings out the people who have died and they're mm-hmm. telling him what? We sacrificed ourselves. Why aren't you? Like, just point blank. Yeah. Like, that's kind of the way things worked in Japan during the war was, you know, mm. your brothers are sacrificing themselves doing, you know, kamikaze attacks and stuff. You know, you need to follow in their in their glorious sacrifice. You need to follow what they did. Exactly. That's an interesting interpretation. And, like, also, he's the last kamikaze yeah, that one I definitely picked That's up on obvious. watching the watching the certain. And That's so once very he's gone, so, yeah. there will be peace. He's the last part of the war, and this imagery of this it reads differently to Americans when they see this kind of imagery. But I would have to say that if you're Japanese, you're going to interpret this in that direction. Yeah, I mean, he he literally kamikaze at the end. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he did. Yeah, it's and, obvious. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it is very obvious, and I mean, I mentioned uh, uh, Jinguji from Atragon. the The sentence in um, in Atragon where Jinguji is accused of uh, being an old dusty suit of armor. Of course, in that film, Jinguji takes his armor, his metaphorical armor, off, and decides to put that behind him for the greater good of humanity. In a weird way, Haruo almost does that. He does what he does for humanity. But he doesn't without taking his armor off. Yeah. 
in a weird way. He he has to take like he, I don't think he could if he tried. No. Maybe he did try, but there's just no way his armor is ever going to come off. He's going to be a dusty old war relic obsessed with killing Godzilla, and there is no place for that in this world that he knows has to exist in order to keep humanity safe. Like yeah. In the weirdest way, like his his entire thing about killing Godzilla isn't so much because they killed his parents. It's because, as we mentioned before, Godzilla killing like it represents a, the failure of humanity and the downfall of humanity. And perhaps he sees in the Hotua and their peaceful ways and you know like lack of technology that life he did want for humanity. You know, like that's that's what he wanted the whole time, and he just thought it meant killing Godzilla, but maybe it didn't. You yeah. know, maybe it meant killing the thing that felt that Godzilla needed to die. And of course, that's him. It's a collision between two realities. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's yeah, his well reality said. is finally dying. And, and in that way, I also find a connection to like the war. I mean, you're that mm-hmm. reality changed and and it and it disappeared, essentially. And. I don't just see Shinto, though, in the X of religion, though. I also see fundamentalist Christianity, uh, specifically the kinds of Christians who all they do is talk about the book of Revelation all day long. <laughs> I, I see that. Yeah, too. Because there's definitely a part of Christianity that's a, a bit of like kind of like a doomsday cult. The, I got that vibe some, some individuals the like that. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's and I mean I we talked about like a doomsday the, cult heaven, aspect. Heaven, yeah, heaven's heaven's gate yeah. and all the doomsday cults and such. Like I have I have a friend who um who had a family member who was in a very uh, Christian oriented Y two K doomsday cult, where essentially this group of people was convinced that the world was going to end and Jesus was going to come when the clock struck midnight on uh, January first, the year two thousand. He doesn't have a clock. And, um, <laughs> Oh man, it was, <laughs> it was, it's, it's, it's strange, you know, and it's, you know, obviously it didn't happen. I feel like every single year there's a group of people that say the the world, based on all of these very in-depth calculations, the world is going to end at exactly this time on exactly this day and exactly this year. And of course we get there and it's fine. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. And the thing that I really took away from the EXIF is that any religion, be it Christianity or any other, what have you, can be, as I mentioned before, corrupted and, you know, kind of turned into this not so positive thing you know, for people who are, you know, willing to hear that. And uh, it just depends on who's doing the, the communicating. And uh, there's a lot of um, persuasive dictator in uh, Metfis. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, sweet, uh, sweet, not so much sweet talking, but well-spoken. I just want to trust this guy. He seems so nice. Yeah. You know, he, he seems like he knows what he's talking about. And if you're a, and again, I'm going to use the word gullible again. <laughs> susceptible. Just if like a susceptible <laughs> person. Yeah. To, to that. Just if, if someone set, if you're a person that hears that kind of the way of thinking and you're like, well, he seems like a nice guy. I'll, I'll, I'll throw money at this guy or I'll join his cult <laughs> to each their own. Right. But it's definitely, it opens up the, an avenue for people to be taken advantage of. Yeah. You know, there are people out there that, that preach this thing and that thing, and their intentions are genuinely good and noble things. And they want, they do want to help people, but you know, some, every once in a while you'll find, you'll find someone who is willing to take horrible, horrible, hideous advantage of people's faith uh, you know, this, this sacred thing that, that people basically use as a foundation for trust in other human beings to, to hurt them. Yeah. And in that, in that way, I don't see, you know, all of these films, Planet Eater as uh, anti-Christian or anything like that. I think it's just a cautionary tale about just, you know, be careful who you listen to. Be sure that, you know, when you join that cult that, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're one of the good cults, you know, like join, join a nice cult, but like in in all seriousness, it's, um, I see it as just an, an exploration about how these things can be exploited and how other people can be exploited by that smooth talking cult leader. Mm -hmm. So in that way, I mean, it it would almost be like saying that the film is anti-technology because the Bilu Salado do the exact same thing. Yeah. I mean, there's, you could also um, say that this is anti-technology. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's just the reason that people are saying anti 
Christian specifically is that religion is quite simply, you know, just a more sensitive topic than technology because not everybody is religious, but most people use some form of technology. Yeah, not everybody's the Unabomber. Yeah, not, <laughs> not everybody's the Unabomber, but there's there's certainly more people that use cell phones in this world than uh, there are people that don't. But, you know, like cell phones are like a thing. Technology is so integrated into our lives. And for a lot of people, religion is. And for a lot of other people, religion isn't. But even an atheist probably has a cell phone. Like, I feel like there are probably people that I haven't seen yet that have looked at this film and said, oh, it's anti-technology. But I've seen a lot more. It's anti-religion, anti-specifically Christianity. I've seen I've seen that stuff kind of thrown around. And I think it's it's probably just because religion is a much more kind of sensitive thing to people that people hold dear than technology because technology is an accepted thing for most people. Religion isn't necessarily accepted by everybody, depending on where you live Mm. in the world. It could be religion, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, whatever, but not everybody is, is religious a and B people who are religious might not be as religious as other people. So depending on who you talk to, it's either more or less a sensitive topic you can rail against technology all you want and technology's not going anywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's just not. It's I mean, it's everywhere. So the Adam character, he's one of the ones that ties up to the cult in the third film. He he is actually killed in the process when uh Ghidorah is birthed on Earth when that shadow comes out and starts cutting everybody to pieces. It's kind of interesting they chose that name for him. You know, that is interesting. Possible biblical yeah. connection. I couldn't escape that. But also, the, there's a connection to the, the whole Garden of Eden aspect of Christianity, too, where isn't like the, the optimal state of being returned to the Garden of Eden state at the end? Minus Godzilla. We all, yeah. I mean, <laughs> minus Godzilla, which, all, which yeah. is actually just looked at as another large creature. Yeah, by the you know by the Hotuans, you know, like they don't have the same perception of Godzilla that the others do. So it's almost like we're returning to some sort of Garden of Eden-ish state. A very simple paradise, wherein the thing that you're that you know, like the the people from modern times see as the enemy, something to be defeated. To the Hotua, it's something to be coexisted with. Yeah. And they've been they've been doing it for thousands and thousands of years, and they haven't been killed. You know, whatever they're doing is working. So they're living yeah. under a uh, sometimes wrathful god. Yeah, hmm. a sometimes wrathful god, just so like the god in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, that's it's interesting, and I mean, it's that's an interesting way of looking at it. Humanity has essentially regressed back to just a couple of individuals. Living very primitively. Metfis is very Satan-y in a weird way. He's very he's very much like that tempting snake that whispers in your ear in a weird way. Yeah, um, he's not some evil stereotype. You know, he's he's a manipulative kind of evil that uh yeah. reveals himself late. It's it's more evil yeah. than people think, I believe. Uh the Exif believe that Haro is so inhuman that he will worship Ghidorah when the time comes. Like they think that his exactly. hatred of Godzilla makes him this inhuman. And so they get humans to believe in victory against Godzilla. That's the fake part of the religion. And yep. then the real religion though is what? The doomsday cult that brings about destruction. Mm-hmm. And that's the very nature of bad religion. You're preaching one thing, but it's BS and you really have a complete other attention intentions about what's going on and what you're yeah, going to do. Yeah, it's that that's very interesting. It it's is. interesting that Adam gets massacred at the at the outset of this, uh, and that his name's Adam. Yeah. It's very in uh, all the names it's, you can choose in yeah. the whole English language of. He chose Adam. Hmm. He chose Adam. That's that's an interesting that's an interesting thought. I wonder like what was going on there because there's there's definitely like little touches of various religions here and there. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't the, think this the, is partic- This yeah. is particularly against any kind of no particular no. religion. No, I think it's actually yeah. against most. I, I think it kind of is I, one of those yeah. things where it's, it's an equal opportunity <laughs> critique. Kind of critique. Yeah, and 
And that's one thing that the Godzilla movies often don't do is they don't get that specific. Yeah. When, when there's an opinion about something. Yeah. But uh, that's also interesting. Um, for those of you who are old enough to play Super Nintendo, and there's this little game, and it's called Chrono Trigger. Some of you might have heard of it. I played it so many hours you would not even know. In that story, there is this asteroid kind of thing that crashes to Earth 65 million years ago. <clears throat> then it is actually a monster that is waiting for Earth to ripen to a certain point then Doomsday occurs, Lavos, which is called, it comes out and causes Doomsday and takes over Earth and consumes it. Hmm. Sounds familiar. <laughs> There's also a part in connection in that game as well, where there is a, um, a city that is in the sky. It is this civilization that has found technology. That technology opens the door to Lavos being awakened which is opening the doorway to destruction. Huh. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I never played that game, so I... The story's so I've cool. I've heard of it. It's one yeah. of the best video game stories ever, <laughs> to be quite honest. That, but uh, you, you can see yeah, plenty of stuff is, on YouTube that yeah. has this. I couldn't help but notice that connection. Uh, but there are lots of stories like this uh, that where, uh, you know, it's sort of like a civilizational cycle. But, but it's not common, but it's uh, it happens. No, but... It does happen, and when it's when it's done well, it's done like really well too. Yeah. Like I stories like that are like you said, they don't pop up all the time, but they open up a lot of potential for that kind of a critique, that critique of civilization, the critique of religion or and or technology. I mean, if you want to put the effort into writing that kind of a thing into a story about the cyclical nature of civilization and humanity as a whole, or just like races in general. You can. You can put that stuff in there. And I, I think that this trilogy of films does it really, really well. And it's so cerebral and so philosophical that in a lot of ways it's um, really intelligent. It's really intelligent. And the thing I really like about a lot of these aspects is that they're really not kind of spoon-fed to you. No. You know? They're, just, they're kind of put out there. And then you have to think about it for yourself, which is the nature of philosophy. Yeah. Thinking about it for yourself, thinking in general is what philosophy is. It's this. It's the. It's the mental science of thinking. It's what you think about, and it's a way of thinking, and it, it could be a way of life. Uh, and it's certainly the the individual ones are the ways, the respective ways of life for the characters in these films. You know, it's it's really really cool to see any film kind of tackling this. But it's really exciting that it's a Godzilla, three Godzilla films, because... Yeah, because at the end, you're like, wait, did Godzilla actually just do that? Bravo. There's another connection, yeah. too. <laughs> did you notice any connection to the story of Icarus with the ending of this film? Now that you... I didn't, but now that you mentioned He flies it. towards the sun, and the sun burns his wings off. He flew too close. <laughs> he flew into Godzilla with the one thing left on Earth that can fly. Because wow. he destroyed hmm. when he destroyed that technology, he destroyed flight. That's fascinating. But the but Icarus That's... was what? Icarus was about ambition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I love thinking about <laughs> this really kind of stuff. Me too. Uh, <laughs> me too. Like there's so many interesting connections to be made and it gets to that weird point where you start thinking was this intentional on the part of the filmmakers or am I, I mean, injecting my own the, Those vultures like, certainly yeah. look like Icarus. They do look like, like they wings. do look like the Icarus wings. Like yeah, the wings that he flies a, on. Is interesting uh, symbolically. There's also connection to Westworld uh, again. There's uh, a a part in Westworld where in season two, about how there is a project to make humans less human by integrating technology into them, or basically to put their brains into technology. The purpose of that is so that the negative aspects of humanity can be ameliorated and eliminated. So self-destructive or destructive tendencies, uh, selfishness. Mm those kinds of things would be eliminated, which is what it's an attempt to have for humanity to make a more perfect version of itself. 
and this incredibly interesting concept. And Westworld goes so many places with philosophical stuff like this, it's just mind-blowing. But that is very interesting. And, and in, in Westworld, it, it's well known that hu- the humans overall, humanity in Westworld, they suck. They're violent, they're <laughs> indulgent, they're selfish, they're murderous, they're, they're monsters. So that therefore there was this project created to try to stop humanity from doing this and be more constructive. And that is in a lot of ways what the Bill of Saludo are trying to do is they are trying to create a more perfect version of themselves. So this only it's a kind of a, it's a little bit of a difference, but really it's, it it is about making a perfected version of your own race. That, that feeling that you're not as perfect as you could be without technology playing some kind of a hand in your, yourself, your physicality, how you think, how you feel like the feeling that we're not, as good as we could be. Yeah. And that we want to get as good as we could yeah, be. Yeah, we need to in save Earth only because things. humans yeah. are destroying it. So we need to become That's a logical you know, version, a more human, you know, trying yeah. to make ourselves more human. And that, that goes also to Blade Runner, which I would never want to leave that yeah. out. Because the replicants, there's no, what yeah, is the saying? More human than humans. Mm-hmm. It, it's about... What, what humanity was trying to do is to, in, in the replicants, you're creating a more perfect version of humans to exactly. do work for you. But, but they yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> kill people for you. But, but also, there's that. Yeah. Um, I don't want to leave Godzilla out of this because what happens in the end with Godzilla? Godzilla wins. He yeah. defeats, Godzilla, he defeats Godzilla. everything. It, but in the, in the same way, we're not, we're kind of accepting of Godzilla as just. What? He's part of the cycle. He is the doom that is open, you know, the, that the door is open to when development goes exactly. far enough and scientific advancement goes far enough. And he's the restraint that is on mm-hmm. humanity. Yeah. Because of their sins. He yeah. is their, it's, it's he's like the, the punishment yeah. to humanity's desire to constantly prosper. Civilization reaches a peak and then opens the door to Godzilla. And how should civilization face that destruction that is coming? That's the the question. And then we have various characters trying to answer that question. How should civilization face death and destruction that's coming? Well, Haro wants to destroy Godzilla to stop the cycle. And the Exiv want Godzilla to be created in order to continue and bring the cycle to its end. But that's how Godzilla fits into all of this. He is that answer, that retribution, that punishment for humanity's endless desire for progress and prosperity. Yeah, well said. That's that's exactly what it is. It's, if this trilogy has accomplished anything, it's to take that that concept that I talked about before of the inevitability of Godzilla and just take that, which had been a, a part of the plots of many of the previous movies, and just ramp it up to 11. Because if Godzilla was this inevitable, unstoppable thing in previous films, like, my God, he's 10 times that here. Because he's, he's God-like. You know, and he's always kind of had that godlike aspect to him, but it's really in this series of films that we kind of almost reach a logical kind of a uh, end point for Godzilla on our planet in general. Because you could almost take the scenario here and plug it into the end of any kaiju story, you know, and it could end up there with humanity essentially peacefully subjugated under a planet that is ruled by the thing that we created and exists to remind us as a symbol of our own folly. Yeah. And the fall of man you know, as in a, in a biblical the fall sense of man. too. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it is like Godzilla is like uh, Tomoyuki Tanaka himself. The man who created this character once described Godzilla as the, the sacred beast of the apocalypse. He's not really demonic in that sense in this story. He doesn't really kind of feel like, like you know, Satan has crawled out of the earth. But 
in a t technological and societal apocalypse, Godzilla reigns above all of the other living things on the planet as th its ruler and the cause of its destruction. But is Godzilla really the cause or are we the cause? That's that's the interesting question. And there are a lot of Godzilla movies that have brought that up. That feeling of it's over. It's not, but it's over. <laughs> so it turns out that human evolution and human nature is a curse. We're essentially our own worst enemy, our curiosity about progress and science and getting out of primitive existence is a curse. And it will inevitably lead to monsters. And, uh, you know, like we were saying before, this kind of a story has been told many times in, in many different mediums with many different kinds of characters and you know, different what have you. But like to me, the idea of a civilization ultimately and again, inevitably ending in the birthing of monsters is really quite fascinating because, again, like the world was apparently crawling with monsters before Godzilla showed up and Godzilla was so insanely powerful that he killed the monsters that were all over the planet. And then he became the monster, the king of the monsters in this this particular universe like just crazy stuff and it really makes you think about what monster what the monster in question might be in a different story or maybe even in real life like will the you know like in in our own reality that we live in this kind of stuff is not going to lead to monsters being born like actual physical giant godzilla monsters but what are the monsters that could be born the metaphorical monsters the symbolic monsters what kind of creatures could be born from that there was an article that came out in the Washington Post. It is from October 30th, 2018. The title of it is Godzilla Back as Animation Has Human Drama, Comma, Fewer Monsters. This article was uh, interesting because it, it gave us the insight into what the creators of the anime were trying to do. And we're hearing it right from them. They said... We welcome getting bashed by the traditionalists. That proves more than anything we succeeded in creating something different. They say it's, it was an intentional attempt to reach out to new audiences. They go on to describe, because they're two directors, they go on to describe how they call this Shakespearean human drama. They tackle complex issues, including the meaning of religion in a futuristic post-apocalyptic universe. Sashita one of the directors, said that the film chose to interpret the Godzilla saga as what he called a kind of animism, or a godlike force that is bigger than human existence, a perspective he said was integral to Japanese culture and storytelling. Bingo. It's Japanese. There you go. Right there. Yep, that's and it. A, I believe for a Japanese audience primarily, which I believe that's what Shin Godzilla was, was primarily Very much so. for a Japanese audience. Shizuno, he said, I'm not a Godzilla expert, and so I simply made a film I thought would be enjoyable. Well, it's really, really enjoyable in a dark kind of way that not everybody's going <laughs> to go with, but yeah. he still did. The enjoyable part of it was being able to understand all of this that's going on and to be able to get these kind of conversations about something that a lot of people think is just a bunch of stupid monster fights or whatever, rubber suits and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. But we're able to go outside the box in such an interesting way with these. Yeah. That, to that uh, extent, I say um, good on you two guys for that. I mean, we're definitely sitting here having, we've had a very interesting conversation on uh, what all of these things could potentially mean and like the, the finer points of a lot of it, the philosophy of a, of a lot of it. And uh, to me, you know, if that's what they were hoping would happen, then, uh, hey, it, it's happening right now. So um, I, you know, I, th I think we if, if that's what they wanted, then they've definitely succeeded in their mission because that's that's what we're doing here. And uh, I hope more fans as time goes on begin to engage in conversation about the stuff the way that you and I have been, because I really think the film's lend themselves excellently to these kinds of conversations. I think that's what they were designed to, to do. They were designed to entertain and they were also designed to make us think. I really, really appreciate that about them. So I'd, li I'd like to think that they think they succeeded in their mission because I certainly do. 
another aspect of inevitability because that's what so much of this story is about it. <laughs> that's right. When it, all things are final, Ryota Fujitsu, an expert on Japanese animation, and I'm reading this from the article from WAPO, he said the animated trilogy was commendable for its visual beauty as well as for tackling Godzilla as a science fiction movie. He says, so much has been tried in the long-running series that taking a new approach was inevitable. Hmm. He said, noting the work explores the dilemma between civilization and the individual, along with many, many other themes. Yeah. <laughs> he says, this work is facing the Godzilla theme head on. That's uh, absolutely true. But I think that it, yeah. it is inevitable that new approaches are taken to Godzilla, and it's inevitable that we have new films like this in the Godzilla series that are expanding the style of Godzilla films. The, this anime series, and of course the first one, Planet of Monsters, this mm-hmm. was the first expansion of style for the Godzilla movies since the year 2000 with Godzilla versus Megaguirus. That is when I did my analysis. Megaguirus was the last time before this anime series that the Godzilla movies actually had an expansion of style. That's interesting. I'm excluding every movie from the Godzilla series between Megaguirus and Planet of the Monsters in 2017. So in uh, from my estimation, the way I view the Godzilla series, this is the first expansion of style in 17 years. Wow. That's that's an interesting perspective to have on that. That's It definitely makes the films more unique, that's for sure. Yeah, and the reason why I don't include even Shin Godzilla in that is because Shin Godzilla takes after the 1954 film, first and foremost, mm, and after 84. Yeah. So that's not really an expansion of style. It's reinventing style that's already there before in a very good way. Hmm. So you're reinforcing style more than you're expanding yes. style. I believe hmm. we needed these anime movies. There's been a lot of reinforcing going on because only about one-third of the Godzilla movies expand the style of Godzilla. That's and an so, interesting yeah, way of thinking. Yeah, it's a YouTube exclusive that I, I mean, did that, that explains all of this, and there are a bunch yeah. of different uh, charts that I made, uh, all these little cluster charts. The anime movies are absolutely an expansion of style for the Godzilla series, stylistically, artistically, story-wise, mood-wise. Absolutely. They reinforce a lot of stuff, too, but they do it in such a different and new way that it's incredible. So that's my take yeah, on it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's really quite fascinating to see just how brave they were getting with these these films. And uh, right now is a pivotal moment in Godzilla's history because if the character becomes stale now, it's going to be a problem. Because we're getting towards the, the uh, you know, this big buildup with the Legendary Pictures thing. And we're not quite sure if they're going to keep making films after 2020. And we have the potential for more Toho films after that. And if those films are going to happen, then the the character needs to kind of try some new things. And whether it keeps those new things going forward or not is an entirely different discussion slash debate. But trying new things and experimenting is really going to be pivotal, you know? And as long as those things kind of remain true to, like, what Godzilla kind of feels like, and, you know, even kind of expanding beyond that a little bit and taking some risks... You know, if that happens, then, you know, and it's done effectively, like I, I honestly feel like it is done in these anime films, Godzilla will survive. Godzilla will continue to go for another 65 years. I mean, this year, this is 65 years this year. And like I said before, we're, we're getting close to three dozen movies. Yeah. That is insane. And, and all of that, and they're all wonderful in their own ways. A new Godzilla movie comes out, you know, I'm going to watch it no matter what, but I respect the desire to do something new and unique and I do respect the desire to take those risks it presents something that's tonally visually artistically not only unique but kind that just it's the first time it's been done with the franchise and you know regardless of what anybody out there might think of the the anime Godzilla films whether they don't like them whether they don't really have a whether they don't really have a strong opinion on them or not or whether they love them it doesn't particularly matter what really cannot be argued is that they absolutely expanded upon the formula, they expanded upon the style, and they've expanded and added to the the mythos of Godzilla in a really important way and at an important time in the character's history. 
And when and it, all when of it this, all this stuff with the cycles, the, mm-hmm. the philosophy of Godzilla, the inevitability of Godzilla, these are timeless concepts. You can plug these concepts into all of these previous movies in one way exactly. or another. So by expanding the philosophy of Godzilla, it makes us so much more appreciative of the fact that Godzilla is big and all-encompassing and can't be pegged down as one specific thing or another specific thing. And that's really the, the beautiful thing about, the, about Godzilla as a character, is that he can be many different things to many different people in many different eras, different decades, different countries that are making the films, different companies that are making them, different people that are writing them, directing them, presenting them visually. And the really beautiful thing about the character is that with such an all-encompassing huge number of genres alone that are tackled, I mean, you know, we've talked about it before, about how many different genres Godzilla's tackled. All of them are different. All of them are unique and all of them are equally valid all of them are equally deserving of discussion and uh enjoyment and of course for each individual person it's going to vary one person might might like dark godzilla better than hero godzilla or vice versa someone might like this or that as opposed to that or this but in the end it's not you know it's it's all about the fact that all of these very very different things in the end are equally as valid as the other. You know what I mean? These these character the, the characters that we see, especially Godzilla himself, and just the various different roles that he's played and the different positions he's held in the various stories that he's been in, like all of those things hold up in their own unique way, and all of them can be enjoyed in their own unique ways, and it's it all works. Economic figures of note. Now that we're ending part three. In 2017, the Japanese GDP grew 1.6%, and in 2018, the Japanese gross domestic product grew 1.0%. Well, we have given the Godzilla community a very good but very meaty uh, discussion about what these anime movies have given us to dissect. Daniel, thank you once again for coming on the show to spread the good news about this anime series. Daniel is the man behind the Godzilla Novelization Project. The address on the web is godzillanovelizationproject.wordpress.com. It is a very good site. It has the awesome timeline that Daniel talked about too, which is very cool. I have looked at it. This episode is dedicated to the actor Ren Osugi, and he is well known in the Godzilla fandom as the man who played Prime Minister Seiji Okochi in Shin Godzilla. The next episode of this podcast will be 1964's Dogura the Space Monster. So we're getting right back on track with classic Tohu Tokusatsu and non-Godzilla kaiju movies. I'd like to send a shout out to our patrons Kyoe Toshi and Sean Stiff. Kyoe donated at the Kaiju Scholar level and Sean donated at the Kaiju Visionary level. Thank you for your support. I really appreciate it. Donating is worth it. It gives you the inside track to what's going on in the show, and you get to message me personally. If you'd like to send some feedback, I'd love to hear from you. The email address is feedback at kaijuvision.com. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. KaijuVision Radio is available on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, Podcast Addict, YouTube with scenic videos, and on kaijuvision.com. If you like the podcast, please donate on Patreon. I'm Brian Scherschel. I'm Daniel DeManna. And this is KVR, Kaiju Vision Radio. See you next time.